following message is brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity and was recorded at Westminster Chapel in Toronto. To learn more about the Ezra Institute's mission to declare the Lordship of Jesus Christ over every area of life, please visit www.ezrainstitute.ca. Well, good morning, my brothers and sisters at Westminster Chapel, all of you in the Westminster Church family. I'm speaking to you from the Ezra Institute today in Grimsby, and my prayer today is that you are well, that you are in good heart, and to let you all know that uh, as a family we miss you all greatly and are longing to see you and be with you all for worship. My theme this morning, as we think about our current series, More Than Conquerors, is Daniel and the triumph of God's wisdom. What we're trying to do in this short series is explore the ways in which God gives hope and life and victory in the midst of difficult and challenging circumstances. And so I'm going to take uh, today a brief look at Daniel in exile in Babylon and the key aspect of what made him more than a conqueror in his difficult circumstances. This is obviously pertinent for us today because we're facing the harsh reality that we are exiled from community and fellowship together. We are exiled from the Lord's table together and we've been exiled from fellowship together. So here in this series, More Than Conquerors, what does it mean for Daniel in the place of exile to know life, hope, and victory as God's servant. So I want to talk about three things this morning. First, the prayer of Daniel, the wisdom of Daniel, and then finally, a Daniel strategy. The prayer of Daniel, the wisdom of Daniel, and a Daniel strategy. So let's first take a few moments to consider the prayer of Daniel from our reading today, which was taken from Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 through 19. In that text, we read Daniel's powerful prayer. It's a prayer of profound insight and understanding for his exiled people in the midst of their distress. And here we have uh, on display the profundity of Daniel's thinking, Daniel's wisdom, as he reflects on the condition of his people. It's an earnest prayer. It's a prayer of repentance. It's a prayer of covenant hope. It calls on God for mercy. It calls on God to act. And it resulted from the wisdom given to him by the Lord from his youth, as he studied Jeremiah, as he looked at Deuteronomy, and he considered the law and God's righteous judgments in history. And the fruit of that reflection was this prayer. Daniel knew that despite there always being exceptions, the covenant people of the day had as a whole failed to honour and failed to obey God. We see that Daniel's approach to God's word and to understanding the people's circumstances was actually to take scripture and read forward from the scriptures. That is to say, he read the circumstances of his own time in the full light of scripture. He didn't read back his own ideas or his 
preferred perspectives onto scripture, which is a process that we often see amongst modern Christians when they don't like what they read. Daniel didn't have that approach. He took the law of God, the word of God, Jeremiah, Deuteronomy, and he reads forward into his circumstances. So when Daniel prayed here in Daniel 9 and God sent an answer, it's worth noting that Daniel was not trying to resolve disputes about eschatological theories of the future. Rather, he was concerned in a very immediate way with his own time, with the rebellion of God's priestly people and what God's word had to say about it. And that's helpful as a reminder to us this morning, I think, to be taken up in prayer and action with the concerns of God's kingdom today. There'd be a temptation to look at the circumstances at the moment and be uh, attempting to project the significance of them into the distant uh, future. Uh, How does this relate to Perusia and end times and so on? That wasn't actually Daniel's concern. His concern was to be faithful in his generation and in the moment in which he lived. And that should be our concern too, to be faithful in our generation and the moment in which we live. Now, Daniel also knew as he he speaks out, as he articulates this prayer, that God's kingdom advances in history because God is always at work in our circumstances. There was to be no recovery of the complacent days before the exile because God was and is doing a new thing in and through his people in the world. Even after the dramatic visions Daniel was given of insight into the future of the people of God and God's purposes in history, what he did was go diligently about the business of government walking in faith and obedience. And that has to be our posture as well. As we're given insight by the Lord, we get on with the daily activities of life and our calling in the world. We're given today, we're not given tomorrow. We're to be anxious for nothing and act in faith and obedience in terms of the wisdom of God. We are God's workmanship, remember. The apostles tell us, created for the works God has prepared for us in our time. So in all things, we have to give thanks today, make our prayers and requests known to God. And like Daniel, as we pray, as we sing, as we reflect today, remember that God is at work. Now, when David, uh, when Daniel, I beg your pardon, uttered this prayer in Daniel chapter 9, At the point of this prayer, the predicted 70 years of captivity for the Jews were almost over. God's deliverance was drawing near. Daniel could, in one sense, have rejoiced at this moment. But instead, we find him confessing his grief and concern for his people and acknowledging, actually, that Israel deserved its captivity. Just look at Daniel 9 and verses 7 and 11. Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but this day public shame belongs to us. The men of Judah, the residents of Jerusalem and all Israel, those who are near and those who are far in all the countries where you have dispersed them because of the disloyalty they have shown toward you. 
And in verse 11, all Israel has broken your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. The promised curse written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, has been poured out on us. So this was Daniel's perspective. This was his prayer. He recognized Israel deserved their captivity because of their shameful deeds, their betrayal of the Lord. Daniel was concerned that despite everything that had been brought against them, against the kingdoms of Israel, and all the just judgments that had been poured out upon them, he says, quote in verse 13, yet we have not entreated the favor of our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight, or as some translations render it, paying attention to your truth. In spite of all, Daniel feared that the majority of the people had learned nothing. No repentance, no insight, no redeeming experience. And this is a telling question, I think, for us in the face of God's judgment upon his church in our own time and upon our own nation. With all that's happening in terms of the decline and turning away from the Lord in the church in the West, and even in our present exile in this panic pandemic, Have we gained insight into the truth? Has repentance and reform, reformation, renewal gripped us? And that's the vital question for God's people, God's church today. We should also note that the primary concern of Daniel's prayer is not actually an appeal for all of the treacherous and unrepentant rebels in Israel. His first concern is actually the honor of God's name. That's his primary concern. And this is something that ought to be informing our prayers and our activities at the moment. Our first concern in all of this needs to be the glory and honor of Christ and his truth, not the well-being of our denomination or our institution or our business or even our own country. And this is not simply because our chief purpose is to worship God and glorify him personally. It is that, of course, to worship God and enjoy him forever. But it's also before the good of the church, of our families and our country, because the good of family, church and nation is tied to whether we honor God or not. God does not tell Daniel exactly how his purposes will be, in a, will be accomplished and how his everlasting righteousness is going to be established. But we do know from the scriptures that the only way for that full redemption of God's people to be realized is in the cross, resurrection, and kingdom rule of the Lord Jesus Christ. Desolation, that's the abandonment of God's presence from his temple, has to be undone. God's light and glory must return and the city of God built. Daniel understood that for his own age, and he had an insight into it for the future that God gave him. And that's our kingdom calling in Jesus Christ today. Christ is the master builder, and we are his bondservants. We are his apprentices, and we are being built together as living stones. That's the essence of the prayer of Daniel. It's a prayer of repentance, of confession, of faith, and it's also a prayer of hope for the building of the city and the kingdom of God. But what about the wisdom of Daniel? 
This great prayer of Daniel did not emerge out of nowhere. It it didn't just suddenly come out of his mouth as though no prayers had ever been uttered by Daniel before, as as though no searching of the scriptures and deep reflection on the word of God had ever happened in his life. Sometimes maybe we look at scripture and we think, wow, what an amazing prayer. How was that plopped down onto that great prophet or apostle by some kind of spiritual osmosis? No, this prayer of Daniel came from the very root of the man's being and preparation. Where did the wisdom and insight come from? What made Daniel stand out from his peers? What enabled Daniel to see deliverance ahead? What made him recognize ultimate victory was to be found in the King of Kings? What made him more than a conqueror, even in his exile? What made it possible for Daniel to be promoted to high position in society while standing fast upon the truth? These are really important questions in this cultural moment we're in. Along with uh, Joseph in Egypt and the famed King Solomon, who gave us the books of Ecclesiastes and Proverbs, and whose careful observations and wise applications of scripture even brought the Queen of Sheba to hear him, perhaps the best example of applied wisdom in the Bible is Daniel. Daniel as a captive in Babylon. Daniel's great success was actually in the midst of his exile, in the purposes of God, because of the wisdom given to him by God. In Daniel chapter one, we see that being of an aristocratic heritage, Daniel is is specifically recruited into an elite school for the equivalent of ancient public intellectuals, ancient experts and advisors, scholars and thinkers who, some of whom, would give guidance to society and government. We see this in chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. The king ordered the chief of his court officials to bring some of the Israelites from the royal family and from the nobility Young men without any physical defect, good-looking, suitable for instruction in all wisdom, knowledgeable, perceptive, and capable of serving in the king's palace, and to teach them the Chaldean language and literature. The king assigned them daily provisions from the royal food and from the wine that he drank. They were to be trained for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to serve in the king's court. Among them, from the descendants of Judah, were Daniel Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And we know that the chief officials gave them new names. So along with some of his noble friends from Judah, better known to us as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, later honoured actually for their resistance to idolatry to the point of being cast into a fiery furnace, Daniel is identified as having real potential as an advisor in the king's court. Now in the scriptures with which Daniel was intimately familiar, the great Hebrew teacher, King Solomon, gives us the key to understanding why simply being intelligent is no guarantee of true insight, wisdom, 
or sound judgment. This is what the scripture says in Proverbs 1, 7 and 2, 6. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline, for the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. So if the foundation of wisdom is missing, if the principal part of knowledge is neglected, then any knowledge structure that we build upon that is inherently unstable. That's the meaning of that. When the winds of real life then blow against our house, it will be found wanting. So let me speak to students and young adults, especially right now, to, and, and pay attention because intellect, intelligence and wisdom do not always coincide. And they should never be confused or conflated with one another. A person may have the ability to grasp complex concepts. That's the idea of intellect, complex ideas. They can grasp them. And they may even have the capacity to understand relevant implications of those ideas for a given area of thought. That might be uh, described as intelligence. But wisdom is of another character altogether. Wisdom goes beyond mere intellect and intelligence. What God is actually looking for is not self-anointed expert elites. That's not what God was looking for in Daniel. He's looking for faithful, spirit-anointed servants committed to the word of God and to excellence for the glory of God. Wisdom comes when we actually learn to surrender our intellect and our intelligence to the word of God and apply it in terms of godly experience, a Christian conscience, and in light of a Christian view of reality. The difference between Daniel, his friends, and the unbelievers in that Babylonian school for elites was the foundation of their thinking. That was the difference. The unbeliever professes autonomy. Autonomy just means self-law. The believer, theonomy, which means God's law. It means a total surrender to the law word of Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, according to Colossians 2, 3. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In the fantasy of autonomy, modern cultural elites essentially pretend to being a new priesthood within society, embodying a new and creative source of authority. They often regard themselves as representing a concentration point of human knowledge and understanding. They're kind of a, a secular bishops, as it were. They mediate their ideas by influencing and shaping those who will proclaim and disseminate their vision for them. A sort of substitute clergy in media and education and law and politics and the arts. We sometimes call them in modern society the intelligentsia, the intelligentsia. But the believer, like Daniel, has to live in submission to God's word, fostering a coherent Christian world and life view that serves the kingdom of God by mediating the power of God's word to every aspect of human life and creation. That's what it means to walk in the wisdom of God. 
And as we look around, one of the besetting sins of cultural elites today as a class, including many, many people currently advising the government here in Canada, is believing that because they have a particular depth of knowledge or ability in a given area, they can then generalize that narrow knowledge and ability into the notion of their own superior wisdom and judgment for life in general. Frequently disregarding the everyday and mundane knowledge of ordinary people in the real world, central social or scientific planning is then taken on by the experts as part of a broader intelligentsia who believe they alone are qualified to guide society. We hear this constant refrain right now when you listen to almost any briefing from our provincial government. According to the best advice of the experts, we're told, day in, day out. But as the brilliant American economist Thomas Sowell has rightly pointed out, he said, intellectuals have seen themselves not simply as an elite in the passive sense in which large landowners, rentiers or holders of various sinecures might qualify as elites, but as an anointed elite, people with a mission to lead others in one way or another toward better lives, end quote. Think about this for a moment. Think about the journalism that you're listening to at the present time, the journalistic editorialising of news so that reporting becomes a stream of approved opinion. This is a very good example of a cultish view of the expert as media experts and personalities attempt to control the meaning and interpretation of events in terms of a particular view of reality. We have to be alert to that. We see this same cult at work even in the current COVID-19 crisis as experts in the fields of epidemiology or statistics and computer modelling lead our politicians around by the nose to proclaim that civil liberties should be suspended for months on end, with some prophesying that life will never return to the way it was before if we are to have a safe and healthy future. And it's because they are viewed as expert elites... Few people pause to ask what qualifies a virologist or a statistician to make far-reaching social, juridical, political and constitutional, in many cases unconstitutional decisions that negatively impact millions of people in a democratic society. And as these politicians endlessly remind us, we must, like they themselves, be guided by these experts. But consider for a moment from the time of Pharaoh's magicians that we see when, when Moses encounters Pharaoh through the kings and emperors and political leaders of the ancient world through to the modern world. They've surrounded themselves with a cadre of expert intellectuals to give counsel and to act as a convenient means at times of shifting the blame if things went wrong. While we were only taking the advice of the experts now, of course, the, the uh, counsellors, the intellectuals, the experts of the ancient world and classical world didn't enjoy the same level of unaccountability as the modern expert. If you misinterpreted one of Pharaoh's dreams or one of the king of Babylon's dreams, you might be executed. So whether they were called satraps or soothsayers, advisors or counsellors, scholars or magi, 
They were the equivalent of the public intellectuals of their era, and they frequently functioned as a priestly class guiding the life, effectively the religious life, of the people. And leaders placed tremendous trust in them. They were there to predict weather patterns, to read the and interpret omens and dreams, to predict harvests, to uh, interpret the stars, read the stars, and provide solutions, solutions to various problems. But scripture would lead us to believe that unless any expert is willingly subject to Christ and his word, even when they stumble across truths and God's creational laws and norms in their work, which they do, they will consistently fail to properly apply what they have learned in terms of the fullness of the wisdom of God. And that makes a difference. For as we've seen, intellect, intelligence and wisdom are not the same thing. So let me ask again, why was Daniel so successful? How could he pray such a powerful and insightful prayer of understanding? Why was he able to be used by the Lord in such a powerful way despite being surrounded by unbelieving elites? Well, let me suggest the scripture gives us the answer that he determined to honor God above all in his occupation and as a believer from the very start. As a result, scripture says, and I quote now Daniel chapter 1, verses 17 through 21, God gave these four young men knowledge and understanding in every kind of literature and wisdom. Daniel also understood visions and dreams of every kind. No one was found equal to Daniel, so they began to serve in the king's court. In every matter of wisdom and understanding that the king consulted them about, he found them ten times better than all the diviner priests and mediums in his entire kingdom. Daniel and his friends, as you probably know, went on to distinguish themselves and find high position in a pagan kingdom and government, And there they had a profound influence for the kingdom of God from the heads of state down. It's all there in the book of Daniel. This was possible because they were determined to obey God, to work hard, and were granted knowledge, wisdom, and understanding by the Lord himself. They were intimately acquainted with the truth that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The other experts lacked this kind of wisdom and understanding and prophetic insight that Daniel and his friends had because the foundation of their thought was wanting, it was lacking. And this advantage should be even more true of Christians today. Christians who self-consciously subject themselves to God's word in scripture and in creation itself. In Christ, the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hid, meaning that the Christian can avoid the pitfalls and mistakes of a godless elite by seeking to understand all things from within a scriptural world and life view. And this makes the Christian mind unique, actually, in bringing a prophetic edge 
infused with prayer and divine wisdom to bear on all the circumstances of our lives and indeed all the cultural circumstances of our age. Finally then, a Daniel strategy. We've talked a bit about Daniel's prayer. We've talked a little bit about Daniel's wisdom. Let me conclude with just a few remarks about a Daniel strategy. In the final analysis, as valuable as the insights of all those who make careful study of a given aspect of creation can be when they're rightly directed, including our understanding of viruses, our ultimate trust, hope and confidence will either be in Christ or the expertise of autonomous man. The history of every era is littered with the false prophecy of the elites of their time. So laying our hopes there, history shows, is a fool's errand. To place our hope in the fallible ideas of people is to be like the unwise man who built his house upon the sand. But to put our trust in Christ and his wisdom is to be wise and to build our house upon the rock. To have our final trust for the future anywhere else that in Jesus Christ is actually slavery. In the memorable words of the historian Paul Johnson, he said, and I quote, we must at all times remember what intellectuals habitually forget. The worst of all despotisms is the heartless tyranny of ideas. The heartless tyranny of man's ideas. Today, we need the wisdom of God in finding our own Daniel strategy as a church. We see the specific wisdom that God gave Daniel in chapter 1, verse 8 following, when cultural elites set over the school of the king's court were concerned for the health and the well-being of Daniel and his friends if they didn't follow the pattern and instructions of the officials, but if they went their own way in order to honour God. You'll remember that. It was concerning the foods they were to eat. The elites who were set in charge over this school uh, were charged by the king to make sure they were healthy and strong. And this involved eating all the uh, foods that they were offered, many of which would have been outside of uh, the requirements of God's law for Daniel and his friends. And they did not want to disobey God. But the officials were concerned for their health. So Daniel was determined to obey the Lord and in so doing, he proposed a test for 10 days. So he cooperated under certain constraints that they remain on their own diet and see if they were not healthier and stronger than those who ate the king's food. And so they proved to be in this instance. God gave them health. He gave them strength, favor, wisdom and understanding because they obeyed him, trusted him and looked to him. Now, what lessons can we take from Daniel in our circumstances today in order to be more than conquerors? Well, first, as we've seen in the prayer of Daniel, we need hearts of repentance and faith. It has to start there. If we're going to be God's faithful covenant people, we need a heart of repentance and faith. Second, we need a total and implicit dependence upon Christ and his word. That's where our ultimate trust and hope needs to be found. Thirdly, we need to pray, as no doubt Daniel did, for the impartation of God's wisdom in all our decisions. That is, we need a Daniel strategy. It won't look exactly like Daniel's. 
here with the elites. But we can call it a Daniel strategy because it's given by God. I think it's in the book of James where we're instructed, we're told, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask. So we're commanded to ask for wisdom. We need to pray for that impartation of wisdom and the right strategy. Fourthly, we all need courage to apply faithfully the wisdom of God in our lives. It's one thing to have God's wisdom deposited in us. We then need to put it to work. And finally, like Daniel, we need to put our trust and our hope in the Lord for deliverance. We can't place our hope anywhere else. It needs to be in Christ for our deliverance. And as elders at Westminster Chapel, we want you to know that we are not here sitting on our hands. We're not doing nothing and we are not idle in our prayers and reflections. We are praying and discussing all of the current matters together and we're seeking God. And we are working on a strategy for how we can apply the wisdom of God to this situation, not just personally, not just in our own families, but to civil government and to our culture. We need the Lord's favour. We need the Lord's wisdom. Let me just give you one example of what's been going on. On behalf of the Westminster leadership, I have been involved with one other uh, pastor from Windsor in spearheading a provincial campaign to see the reopening of Ontario's churches. We wrote a letter, a gracious but a clear and a firm letter to uh, the Premier and to the uh, leaders of the Health Department and to the Deputy Premier. And over 400 churches have now signed that letter. You can actually read it at reopenontariochurches.ca, reopenontariochurches.ca. You can read the letter. It's already one of the largest ecumenical efforts in Canadian church history. I have been in several consultations with MPPs who are sympathetic to the church's plight in our province and in the nation. And we've been seeking to apply the wisdom of God's word and inspire other leaders in the province and in the nation to do the same. And we are now exploring also some of the potential legal recourse that Canada's churches have so that we might begin serving one another, serving the community and gathering for worship to obey and honour the Lord for those who feel able. And so I want to just leave you with this very quick action plan for you today. That's what the elders are doing and we're going to report back on those things. But here's what you might do today. First of all, all of us should be phoning and writing to our local MPPs, expressing our views, our concerns. And I believe arguing that the church is not equivalent to a sports club. It's not equivalent to a dance studio. It's not even equivalent to a hardware store, which, is, which are already opened. And we should be asking them to raise questions regarding the reopening of the churches in a safe and responsible way. Just as the many factories are open now, garden centres are opened and people are milling around in shared spaces. The injustice of the present situation should be asserted. And we can all do that and we should do it. Secondly, ask for wisdom from God as you serve in your home in your vocation and in your business, as you speak with your neighbour and as you engage politically. Seek wisdom in ensuring your business survives. 
Be asking counsel of fellow members of the body of Christ. Be praying for an impartation of wisdom, a Daniel strategy in your home, in your business, in your vocation for getting through this situation. Thirdly, pray for the elders and pastors of the church as we look to formulate a Daniel strategy in terms of God's wisdom for the work and service of the church to be released from our current exile. And finally, join the elders for a church-wide Zoom question and answer, which we will announce soon. We're going to announce a church-wide question and answer soon. And you'll be able to come with your comments and questions, and we'll have some interaction together. Let's be people of prayer, the prayer of Daniel. Let's be people of wisdom and ask God for the wisdom of Daniel. And let's be strategic in our thinking and ask for a Daniel strategy. Amen. This message has been brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. Please feel free to share this content, but do not charge for it or alter it in any way without the express written consent of the EICC. For more resources, please visit ezrainstitute.ca.